Good morning. My name is Mark Lewis. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Legacy Church, and I am so glad that you're here today. Uh, if you're a guest, we're glad that you're here today. And yes, if you're a partner, we're also glad that you're here today. Um, I am going to just let the cat out of the bag from the beginning. We are going to talk about being rescued. That God is the rescuer. He is our Savior. He is our champion. And so uh, when I think about, when I think about this, this passage that we're going to look at today, uh, we're going to cover the story of David and Goliath. And in this, as we think about David and Goliath, we are called, in my opinion, and what I believe the scriptures are showing us, we are called to be a people who remember the name of the Lord, the greatness of the Lord, from the past, from the present, His promises, and we are to see those promises, we are to look back at the past provisions, and we are to step out in faith today. And we are to face tomorrow's challenges also with a faith today. I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of Google. Uh, Google Photos specifically. Uh, how in the world do I have uh, 21,000 pictures in my Google Photos library? But I do. And every now and then it says, hey, you took a trip to Roan Mountain in Elizabethton. Or t it's T-O-N, so I guess Eliz Elizabethton, not town. And hey, here's a good photo album for you. Do you want it? And every now and then I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I do want that. I do want that. And this, this particular photo album, you're like, Mark, is it, it just looks like a, you're holding a piece of paper. But it's, it's great. It's got probably about 20 pictures in here that capture a wonderful weekend that I had with my family. We went to this little retreat center in East Tennessee. We went hiking. Uh, you can't see it from there, but this is a memory of me being with my daughter. She's up in her hammock, just hanging out, smiling as big as possible. And the thing that I'm seeing in the face of my daughter is I'm seeing I'm not studying Latin right now. I'm not preparing a speech for my logic class. I'm seeing just a, a free-spirited uh, young woman that is saying, I'm with my family, we're having fun, and we're out in the woods, and I'm in a hammock, and we're telling jokes, and we're doing a lot of fun stuff. I've got a picture of my son that I'm not, I won't hold up, because uh, one of them He's got all his clothes on. And the second one, he has his shirt off, and we're walking through the woods. It's a warm day, and it's awesome. It's a boy walking through the woods. It's awesome. And he's having fun. And Nate and I take this little walk together, just the two of us. And he took me to this spot where he and his mom, Sherry, had done a, a hike previously. And he, he was like, I want to show you this spot. And we get up to this little spot, and you can see out within the woods. You're still in the thick of the woods. But, but you can, you're, you're, you're high in the woods, and you just see the beautiful green, the, the leaves. It, it's just great. And one of the things that Nate said, I, I didn't have to say it, but he said, you know, Dad, isn't it great sometimes to just not be connected to all the technology and stuff? 
and just just be outside and just walk and see stuff and do things. I was like, absolutely, son. It's great. And so I have these memories. And yes, Sherry was there too. Sherry uh, had a good time with you too. It was a great weekend. But Sherry being the glue, holding us together, you know, beautiful. So I look through this and it brings me, it brings me joy today. I can remember things that's not just in my memories, but I can look on a piece of paper and see these pictures and be reminded of the blessings that God has given me within my family. And so we have a lot of memory mile markers, if you would, as families, with ourselves, with our marriage, with our, with our children. There's, there's, different, there's different points of, of growth that we see. We don't need pictures for all of that. We don't even have to write it all down. But those things are helpful because we want to remember. Because I guarantee you, and I, and I trust those of you that are older than me that have kids that are already out of college or out working, you tell me, Mark, it's a blink. It's a blink. They're here with you, and, the, and then the next thing you know, you're, you're a granddad. You know, and that sounds great to me, but the part that doesn't sound great is the blink part. You know, but I, I'm seeing it. My daughter is already driving. And it's like, wow, how did that happen? You were just in a little carrier on my stomach and then on my back. And then holding my hand, walking beside me. How are you driving now? This is amazing. But we have all these memory mile markers that help us as families. That helps us to continue to love each other. That helps us to come alongside each other and say, hey, you know, remember that? That was, that was incredible. That was awesome. You did great. But we also have memory mile markers that are difficult. It's rare to have a photo album of difficult moments of our lives. The loss of loved ones. The times at work where maybe we lost our job. We don't have the photo album that says, yep, this is where the boss came in and said, you know what, listed out ten great things and, and said, however, this is your last day. We don't really have photo albums for that. But if you're a believer, hopefully there's a memory mile marker, a spiritual mile marker for you where there was a, that was really difficult. It was actually horrible especially deaths of a loved one, but I'm losing my job. How are we going to make ends meet? What is going on? But hopefully there's a spiritual mile marker, if you're a believer, where you could see this is a moment where I know I'm totally out of control of these difficult circumstances, and I need to trust the Lord. Lord, would you, would you help me? Would you show up? And if we got together in this room in small circles of believers and those of you that are investigating Christianity, you're going to hear stories from the Christians of spiritual mile markers where the Lord showed up and He comforted, He gave strength. And in some circumstances, in some situations, He gave great rescue. We need spiritual mile markers. We need to remember. The Old Testament is just littered with phrases of remember, remember, remember. 
Do not forget the days. Remember, there is a looking back that we are constantly called to do. Wouldn't it be great if there was a notification that popped up on my phone each day and just said, Mark, remember the day that you were riding in the car with your mother and she explained the gospel to you. Remember that today. Remember that today. So we need these spiritual mile markers. We are sojourning in this world. We are strangers and aliens in this world. We are pilgrims just passing through. In the beginning, in the garden, it was, this is, this is where we are going to be. Beautiful, amazing. But we bought it up because of sin. We rebelled against God's ways and therefore creation was cursed. Our journey in this world is full of thorns and thistles and death and setbacks and discouragement and depression and anxiety. We need a rescuer. We need a God. We need faith in a Messiah that can save us. But we need to remember. Along the way, we will face many dangers, toils, and snares. But remembering God's amazing grace along the way really will relieve so many fears. Look to His grace. So here's a, I got a, a couple of personal memories that I want to share with you that helped me along the way, that helped me to look back to think this is, this is something I, re, I need to remember that the Lord showed up for me. And here's just a few of them. I already alluded to one, but it was 1980, and I realized that Jesus was saving me, that I needed him, that I needed him to be my Savior, that it was no longer that I just thought he was awesome and greater than Superman and Spider-Man. I saw in that moment God was taking off the scale of my eyes, and my mom is speaking to me the words of the gospel that I don't want to just be like Jesus. I don't want to just be a, a good guy, a nice guy, and, 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 and obey my parents. But I actually needed to be saved from my sins. And standing up in the passenger side of my mom's car on the way to school, I gave my life to Christ. He saved me. And I remember that. And I've had to remember that along the way. And then fast forward, if you would, seven years later. That was in first grade. Now I'm in seventh grade. Jesse. Jesse comes in my science class. Jesse's another seventh grader. But I think he was supposed to be in 11th grade. He already had a beard. He comes in our class. I'm in the back, left-hand corner, that day doing my work, doing what I need to be doing, Jesse comes in the classroom, busts open the door, is like, Mark, I'm going to get you. Ah, and he's so mad. This day, I don't know why I was just enthralled with science that day. I, I don't even hear all this madness because it, it was a public school. There was madness all the time anyway, so I'm just still, but it gets quiet, and that's what bothers me. I look up, and I'm like, oh, that's a, Everybody's looking at me. Oh, this is about me. And I look up, and Jesse's just like on fire with anger. 
teacher takes him out, and the class is like, I'm sorry, but I, I guess you're dead. And I'm like, what'd I do? What's going on? I'm like, man, I got this. I got this, teacher. It's okay. The bell rings. Beep. You know, that, well, that's bells today. It, it was a ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding bell. I walk out to go to the next class. Jesse is, I can just see the smoke rising up from the counselor's office. You know, just, he's sitting out there. I start to walk towards him to just say, hey, man, what's up, dude? And I just see him get up and start to come at me. It's like, this is not going to be one of those conversations. And again, a different counselor comes out, Mark, just go to class. We'll figure this out. I'm terrified. Jesse's like, I want to get you. This is over a girl. Uh that I had no idea that there was even a story. I had no idea. And of course, those are some fighting situations when you're in seventh grade. And I was like, I, I don't even know what's going on. I get home that night, and I'm so scared. And I don't know what to do. And I was a part of a good church. I had great parents. And I just thought, you know, I don't read my Bible a lot. But I kind of feel like I, this might be one of those Bible moments where maybe this, this God that saved me from my sin, maybe, maybe he's going to show up. I didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what was going through my mind. So I just looked in the back of the Bible, scared to death. <laughs> where, you know, where are words that say scared to death? Fear. And then it was I just saw all these scriptures, and it's some of the it's some of the uh, the most the, the the most popular command throughout scripture is fear not, fear not. I didn't realize that in seventh grade. I know that now. But I read a particular verse, you know, Isaiah forty one ten. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I said, all right, God. All right. Thank you. And I went to bed. Just went to bed, woke up in the morning, had an unusual routine. My mom would take me to Waffle House every morning before school, which is amazing. Later, she was like, it's the only time that you would just, like, talk to me. Like, and I was like, well, I loved waffles and bacon and hash browns, so thank you. Uh, she dropped me off at school. I would get to school early every morning, and it was usually just me and the custodian and a couple of other people. I get to the bathroom on the seventh grade hall. I go into the bathroom, and guess who is standing in the bathroom? Jesse, who usually doesn't get to school until lunch. Jesse is standing there. And in that moment, I was just like, all right. And he immediately just said, Mark, I'm sorry about yesterday. I don't know if Jesse has ever said I'm sorry to anyone before that or after that. But he's like, I'm sorry about yesterday. Uh, it's all good. And I was like, man, thank you. Thank you. I, I thought I was a dead man. I thought I was a dead man. And we, he started laughing, and we, were, we remained to be good friends. That's the thing. He was my friend. But that is a spiritual moment. Yes, I could have shared with him in that moment. Well, let me tell you, last night I opened up the Word of God. I could have done that in that moment. 
But that was a spiritual memory for me that has helped me as a 49-year-old. God showing up. In 2003, we're in Thailand. My family lived in Thailand basically out of the span of 15 years. We lived in this city in Thailand for 10 years, planting a church, doing college ministry. Uh, We had one staff guy that was with us. His name's Chai. And Chai was like, hey, let's go to my hometown, and I want to share within my village, I want us to show the Jesus film. It's this, it's this movie about the life of Christ based on the book of Luke. And I want us to put up a screen and get a generator, and we're going to show this in my neighborhood. And we were like, let's do it. Let's do it. We get on a, a, a big bus, a bunch of us. We go to his hometown. And he already told us, hey, my uncle is a monk in the temple in our neighborhood. And he's furious that we're coming. Because I had to get permission from the neighborhood to do what we're doing. They reluctantly are doing it. The monks don't want us to do it at all, but we're doing it. So we show up, we set the screen up, we go around the neighborhood inviting all these kids, uh, all these farmers, all these families to come and watch the Jesus film. And almost everyone, was, they were just saying, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Well, probably a good third of the neighborhood or more shows up that night. Now, they don't come to watch the, 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 the movie from the yard because that would be going to the event. They all stood out on the street. <laughs> they all stood out on the street. They could hear, they could hear the words. They could, see, they could see the movie. They could see the film. But one thing I noticed that Chai wasn't there. He wasn't there for the whole time. And I began to get nervous. And so at the end, we clean up, all is done, and Chai finally shows up. I'm like, dude, you know, are you okay? Like, where, where were you? What's going on? He's like, let me just tell you, Mark, that God really just showed up in a big way. And he's just telling this very almost nonchalantly, but yet full of faith and, and joy. He was like, yeah, as, as I was going around inviting everybody, I got on my motorcycle and to go to the neighborhood next to us, the village next to us, to invite them in. And as I was doing that, I was passing the temple, and I thought about my uncle, and I knew how furious he was. But I knew I need to go in there and tell my uncle and the other monks about this, but I know they're angry. And he goes, Mark, there's something you don't know about Thailand and and other places. Monks have a lot of power, and there's a lot of things that can happen sometimes. And he expressed a true danger that he felt when he was on his motorcycle, when he thought, I need to go tell my uncle. This is what he said. Now, this is all in Thai, but in English for us, He said, Mark, I was on my motorcycle and I knew that God was telling me to go and talk to my uncle and the monks and invite them to come in here. And I knew that I may be killed tonight. 
I have never faced anything like that in my life. He said, I, and it was legit. I, I was like, you mean you might like, you know, you know, you might not be invited over for Thanksgiving? He's like, nah, I mean, this is how mad they are. That I could, I could be killed. And the thought that crossed my mind was, okay, I could be killed tonight and be with Jesus. I'm like, who are you? But if I don't go and tell them, they'll never know Christ. That is a spiritual mile marker for me. It's like, wow, this guy Chai, which actually his name means champion. A champion in the Bible refers to someone who is a a go-between. You got got the army over here, you got the army over here. Both armies send a champion to fight one another. Chai was a champion, a lowercase c if you would. He went before his uncle and these monks in God, representing Christ. And the reason he didn't show up that night is because he went to invite them. And one of the monks looked at him and said, it was actually his uncle. He's like, Chai, we're not going to that. I mean, what's it all about anyways? Here's another thing about Chai. When Chai came to Christ, he continually would just read his Bible from front to back, front to back, front to back. And Chai would, that's why Chai didn't show up. Because he sat with all these monks and walked through the gospel story from the beginning to the end. Summarizing the Bible. So the monks heard a very large holistic presentation of the gospel. And they heard, that is a spiritual mile marker for me. So many moments, we have many moments of scares and setbacks with our own friends, with family. But the Lord shows up. Let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We need to remember what Christ has done, what Christ calls us to do, but that he says that he is with us. That's what God taught me when he gave, when he gave me life in first grade, that I'm with you, Mark. That's what he showed me in seventh grade. I am with you. That's what he showed me when I looked into the eyes of Chai, when he's saying these other world types of sentences of, wow, what in the world? That Christ was with you. And yes, we know that Chai could have been killed that night. And Christ still would have been with him. But Jesus says that he is with us. We are called to remember and to not forget. But so many of these remembers of the Bible, it's actually us in the Psalms. It's David often talking to the Lord. Lord, remember your people. Lord, remember what you said. Lord, remember 
These are, these are moments of faith that's full and faith that's almost empty. But it's saying, you said this. Would you remember this? And God does not forget. God does not forget. But so many of these remembers are also God in his word telling us to remember. But we so easily forget. We forget. And we need to say, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Isaiah 17.10 says this. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. We so easily forget. But our fears are real. God's promises are sure because he is God. Our faith is weak, but his mercies and grace are new every morning. But again, it doesn't take us long to forget the promises of God. When we're in our real-time fears and we have our frantic moments, our frantic weeks, months, and sometimes years of saying, Lord, how much longer? Where are you? We all have moments of spiritual amnesia, and we forget God in the midst of our real-time fears. So today we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. We're going to look at a young man, a young man who remembered, and a young man who stepped out in faith. Let me pray for us. Lord, I do pray that as I open your word, Father, and we look at more scripture this morning, that you would go before us, that you would come behind us, God, that you would help me to speak the things that we need to hear this morning. God, would you help us to see, Jesus, that you are our true champion, that you are worthy, that you are mighty, that you are powerful. We need you. Help us to remember you. Give us faith. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel 17, 37. David says this. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Last week we looked at an ordinary guy. We looked at David, an ordinary guy that was receiving an extraordinary anointing to be the king of Israel. David, just a, a young guy being anointed by Samuel. This is, this is to be the king of Israel. In between the anointing and Today's passage, something particular happens to David and to Saul. So as we saw last week, David is anointed by the Spirit of God. And around the same moment, if not at the same moment, Saul no longer has the spiritual 
anointing of the Spirit. And he actually begins to have paranoia, paranoid fits. He begins to be inwardly terrorized with different things. And he needs to be soothed. He needs to be calm. He's still the king. He's still needing to lead his people. But he's having troubles. And so some of his people, his advisors come to him and say, they say, hey, there's a shepherd, David. He could play the lyre. He could play a stringed instrument. And maybe we'll bring him in. Let's bring him in. And they did. And David would come before the king when he was having these fits, when he was having these moments of just deep anxiety, and David would play. We don't know if David sang in that moment, but we know that David sang out in the fields. We know that David was a songwriter. We know that David would write songs about his king, his God, and now he's sitting before an earthly king and playing music. And when David would play, Saul was at peace. So now we move up to where we are uh, today with David and Goliath. And we are going to let the text preach this morning. So follow with me, if you would, 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soka and Ezekah, and Ephes Demon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. Quick pause. You see the Philistines, there is an active gathering. It says, now the Philistines gathered. There was an active leadership that was going on. We are going to battle with the Israelites. Then you see a passive gathering that Saul does with his people. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered. It's more passive. You begin to already see a lack of leadership from Saul. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. So just picture that. On one side over here on the mountain, you have one army, the Philistines. Over here, you have the Israelites. And below, the, below them, there is a valley. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Again, a champion, a go-between, a representative. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. Just pause. Goliath is huge, okay? Goliath is huge. He's like nine feet something, nine feet six inches plus tall. He's, 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 he's up there. He's up there. And he's huge 
and he's got all kinds of armor on, and he's a giant. He's big and strong, and you should be afraid if you had to fight this guy, bottom line. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you are not servants of Paul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So quick pause, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. The ranks, it represents a position of hierarchy. Specifically saying he shouted to the ranks of Israel includes all the commanders and generals and stuff, but you know that Israel is led by God Almighty. Yes, there's a king, but this shout goes not only to the the armies, but the ultimate leader. This is defying the God of the universe with these shouts. Exactly. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. In the Philistines' stead, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Okay, Saul and everyone hears the words that I will kill you. Bring a man out and I will fight with him. And, and in this, when we win, you will be our slaves. Saul and the people were greatly afraid. They were highly impressed. Highly impressed with Goliath. This dude means business. This dude is huge. This dude is scary. This dude probably is going to win. They were highly impressed and extremely depressed. They were at the end of themselves. They were greatly afraid. But now we have in verse 12, now David. Now David was the son of an Ephraite of Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went into the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, uh, Abnabadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So remember, David's already helping Saul. David's playing the lyre with Saul, bringing some peace in these moments. But he's also still out in the fields working for his dad, taking care of the sheep. So there's a back and forth that David is doing here. It says, for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Morning and evening, he came forth for 40 days. 40 days, the people of Israel were being terrified. 
And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an epoch of parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now, it's important to see that David was taking a whole lot of food. You might have pictured that he just had some sack lunches for his three brothers. It's a big task that David is doing. Because even just an a, a epoch is 22 liters. So that by itself, if I just told you, hey, could, could you go in the kitchen and bring me 22 liters of Pepsi into the living room? That's a lot just to get to the living room. So he was tasked, his father tasked him with a big thing. So David is doing this. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now again, they're not fighting. They're not fighting, but they're at the battle lines. They're at the battle lines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. So the timing. David gets there when they're going up to their battle lines and hearing hearing the shouting going on. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. So he had all the food, all the stuff, and he left it over here with the keeper of the, bad, the, the baggages and ran, ran over to his brothers. And like, what's going on? What's happening over here? And he greets his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. So David, so Goliath is coming out to say his defying things again to the people of Israel and defying God himself. But this is very important. It says, and David heard him. There's a lot of hearing that was going on already. This is a different kind of hearing that David hears. Again, a shepherd boy They could play the fiddle a little bit, play the guitar, play the lyre. They can write songs and music and take care of sheep and do things. Not necessarily tasked with figuring out all these things, but he shows up. He thought, am I just bringing food for my brothers? Make sure they're okay. Go let dad know they're okay and move on. But David heard Goliath. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Again, day in and day out hearing this, and they they just run every day, and they are so afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Like, Like they're just talking to each other every day. Do you see him? Like every day they're just amazed. Every day they're newly terrorized. Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Basically, no more taxes for the victor's house, along with the other things. Verse 26, and David said, 
pause. This is the first time David speaks in the Bible. This is important. Now, David speaks. He says things before this moment in life. But this is the first time that we hear David say anything in the Bible. And this is what he says. And David said to the men who stood by him, So what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine Philistine, and takes away the reproach from Israel? What will be done for this guy who gets rid of this giant and removes this reproach from Israel, God's people, God himself? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this that speaks in such a way? that defies Saul in all of the ranks and God himself. Who is this uncircumcised person that doesn't have the sign of the covenant, that is not God's people? Who is this man? He's a kid. But he's got the right question. He heard the right taunts. But he has the right question. Who is this man? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done with the man who kills him. So they tell him, they tell David, well, this is is what will happen for the man who kills him. So biggest brother steps in because, David, what are you doing down here? You're supposed to just bring the food. You're supposed to be hanging out with us for a little bit, making sure we're okay and get on. But what are you doing talking within the ranks. You're not even a soldier. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, his oldest brother, eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Like, we're not going to camp out here for a long time. But his big brother, thinking he knows what's going on, is just like, I know what you're doing. You're just down here. You just want to see a fight. Like, get back to those couple of sheep. Get back to your, your little job that you do. Let the men take care of business. I know you. I know your heart. And David's like, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Did, did I just did I just say who is this? Like what is didn't I just say a few things? Why are you getting on to me? But here's what David does. It's pretty awesome. It says, and he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. So David just keeps talking to the people, like, what's this giant saying? And what's he doing? What's he saying against God? What's he what's going on here? And the people answered him again as before. The people just keep answering this shepherd boy. So it makes sense in 31 when it says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated before Saul. They repeated them before Saul, and Saul sent for him. So there's these questions that had this beginning, a theocentric beginning, a who is God? What is the center of what's going on with what is being said? There is this center going on in Paul's mind, his heart, his his soul. What is going on here is a God thing. It's a God thing. 
And the people are like, wait a minute, this shepherd boy, he's saying something that is resonating. They're not remembering well, but they're like, it's resonating. I think Saul needs to hear this. So David goes and talks to Saul, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You're but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, David remembers. This is a memory, a spiritual memory moment. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I mean like this morning. (laughs) Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. God rescued me from the bear, the lion, this giant going against God himself and God's armies is what's going to happen to him. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So again in 37, the Lord who delivered me will deliver me. Past memory, today grace, and even a future grace. God did it then, he will do it now. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So David takes off all the armor, and he just approaches approaches Goliath as a shepherd boy. His staff, his slingshot, and a couple of rocks. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Don't miss that. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He doesn't say, I come to you with my staff, my slingshot, and my stones. I come to you 
in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine dead, struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine And took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. So it's like he kills him with a rock. And then it says, then he kills him with the sword. It's like if you're wondering if Goliath is dead, he's dead. And if you're really wondering if he's dead, he doesn't have a head anymore. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, their go-between, their hero is dead. They never in a million years pictured that this was about to happen. They fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from the Shemarim and as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. The armor That's more chapters later. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Now, again, he's not saying who is this. He knows that this is David. Whose son is this? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son this boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. The reason he's asking this is because no more taxes for Jesse. Who is his son? Whose son? Like, like I'm going to... I'm going to stay to my word. I'm going to do that. Who is his son? But also, what we're going to see is David already being anointed, already being in the king's service. He's about to be involved even more so. And so what I want us to do very briefly, because I believe the text of David and Goliath speaks to us about faith and remembering God. I want us to see that we too need to be people that remember God. God will not be defied. He will not be defeated. David's response to Goliath was theocentric. 
It wasn't just a knowledge of the Bible. So we need to make sure that we're not just the people who read the Bible, but a people that say, God, through your Holy Spirit, would you allow the Bible to read me? As I'm reading through the scriptures, would you do a work in my heart? When I read about your promises, will you help me to step out in faith? We don't want to be Christians who just have the answers to life's problems. We don't want to just have answers. We want to see the God of the answers. We want, we want to enjoy the Lord of the rescue. We want, us, we want to be able to have a faith that is strong, not in just the words of Scripture, but God himself who speaks the words of Scripture. But unlike Saul, David's brothers and all the men of Israel, David was different than them. David remembered past mercies and grace. And he saw his powerful, living, and present God before him. He remembered. So picture this. Picture Saul, the men of Israel, standing before. I just picture, I just picture Goliath's head being the top of this. I don't know how many feet this, this is. But it's like they're, they're just looking up like we're as good as dead. So you got these warriors, and you have this giant... And then David comes along, a kid, and he hears all this. And what does David see? David sees the giant behind the giant. David sees the God behind the terrorizer. David sees the God of Israel, the highest ranks of Israel, behind the problem in front of everyone. David sees what Saul was not seeing, what the people were not seeing. Yes, David would have said, shoot, Delilah, he's big. He's huge. But his threats are against God Almighty, and we are God's people. Therefore, this problem is going to go away because God will not have that. There is a giant God. There is an immense Father God. There is a immovable Savior behind your problems. And He is worthy. But He is able. He is able to help us. What or who is in front of you right now tempting you to forget God? Who's in front of you right now that is just scaring you? What circumstances in front of you that's terrorizing you? Maybe you lean more into, it, it just takes me into depression. Maybe you lean more and it just makes me so anxious. But regardless, what, what fears are in front of you? What, sla- what potential slavery is in front of you? And what's within you? In this passage, we see that David is Israel's champion. He stood between the battle lines, resting on God's name and promises. And God delivered David from Israel. Uh, I'm sorry, David and Israel from Goliath. We see that. We're not called to be David. We're not called to go out and just slay these giants and, and be the representative for everyone. 
for them to look to us and say, wow, Mark saved us. He is our king. He is worthy. Wow. There's only one David in that story, and that was David. David is Israel's champion. Now, the rest of Israel were to look to David's faith and to act in faith with the things presenting to them, but that real moment of we are about to be enslaved to the Philistines, this is like going to happen, and we're about to be in slavery. David rescued them from slavery. Did David have spunk and courage? Sure. Was he a good, obedient son being Uber Eats for his brothers? Sure. Was he, was he able to move past his big brother's contempt for him, showing up and being in the mix? Yeah, he did. Was he small and young and an uh, and unlikely warrior? Definitely. Was he brave to talk directly to the king? Without a doubt. Did he face a giant? And slay and cut off his head. Absolutely he did. But what David had that the others didn't was a clear-headed, working memory of the promises and ways of God. He knew the name of the Lord is God, and he stepped out in believing with faith. He remembered past mercies and grace of the Lord, and with faith in God's promises, was able to trust God and was and God's past provisions, and he stepped out in faith. Where your faith lands determines everything. I'm going to wrap it up with this thought. So worship band, you can start coming up. Where your faith lands determines everything. Often our faith can land on our faith, so to speak. It's, okay, today there's something in front of me. Well, yesterday I had faith. Yesterday I was able to do this. Our faith isn't to land on our past faith by itself. Our faith is to always land in God himself. Our faith is to land in God himself. The Bible talks about the faith of a mustard seed. It's not so much, the power isn't so much in the faith itself or the seed itself. It's the soil in which it lands. Our faith is to land, our seed of faith is, lands in Christ himself. Christ's abilities, Christ's strength, Christ being our true and only champion. We are called to be a people of faith. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our champion who frees us from slavery. So in this story, we're more of the Israelites cowering in fear. That's us. We're more of the Israelites cowering in fear. Lord, what's going on? How will you show up? How will you save the day? But we're to put our faith in Christ that he will do that. And it does help to look back at some past moments where the Lord did show up for us. But but we're not only the terrified Israelites, but before Christ saved us, we're also the godless Philistines mocking the Lord. We're the enemies of God. The Bible is very clear that before Christ, we are God's enemies. So Christ himself, the Father sends the Son, the Son comes down to this earth, 
He's on the other side. of the, He's on the other mountain. We're his enemies on this mountain. But he's on that mountain. He comes down. He comes across the field. He comes within our ranks. He becomes one of us. And he goes out to battle death, sin, and slavery. And he defeats sin, death, slavery, and the grave. In our place. He is the champion that goes between us and death, sin, and slavery. He's the one that goes between us and his Father. The wrath of God, Jesus receives. Jesus is our champion. From the very beginning in the garden, we had the apple in our mouths. After Jesus washes our feet, we grab the bag of silver in betrayal. In the other garden before Jesus is taken, we're the sleeping disciples leaving Jesus alone. From the hill of Christ's crucifixion, we had the hammer in our hands. We are the overgrown giants in our pride, honestly needing to be slayed. And because of Jesus, we are crucified with him. Let's read this scripture. We'll read this scripture, and we're going to stand for communion. So let's look at Galatians 2.20. Y'all can go ahead and stand with me. Galatians 2.20 says this. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ came and in a sense slays us, our sin, our pride. And we in Christ, we are crucified with Christ. But he gives us life. Christ gives us life. He becomes our true champion. And we are to go out into all the world. And we are to be little C champions. I am never going to be Christ for you. But I can be a little C. I can be a Christian. I can go out and represent Christ to you, to the city. I can go out and be an ambassador. I can be a go-between. But I will never be your Savior. You will never be your family's Savior. Husbands, you will never be your wife's savior. There is only one king on the throne who has rescued us from slavery, from sin, and sure death. And that is Jesus. And he is the one who we look to and we look to. And in heaven, we will always be able to look at forever and ever and ever. He is our champion. 